They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. Hey, what's the difference between 1977 and 2020? The answer is a peaceful transfer of power. Oh, oh no, wait, I'm sorry. That actually doesn't even happen in this issue. Superboy number 225, and who shall lead them? Published March 1977. Written by Jim Shooter with art by James Sherman. Synopsis. Will Legion leader elections tear the team apart? So, uh, Wildfire and Superman duking it out <laughs> on the cover of this issue, Matthew. Oh, yeah, things Superboy's are going to bad. get testy over who runs the Legion of Superheroes team, which is kind of interesting because this is one of those coincidence things, right? This is not a, hey, Brian Michael Bendis must be listening to the show and therefore he's writing a lot of his his comics based on what we're talking about and what's coming up next. However, in the current Legion of Superheroes series from Brian Michael Bendis, issue number seven out this week as of this recording, uh, the issue is all about who is going to be the new president of the Legion of Superheroes and the fight between Ultra Boy and and, and Cosmic Boy and yep. the uh, the tussle that gets uh, between the two as they're trying to debate why we should even vote for presidents at all. The uh, bug tussle, I believe, is what you meant. Yes, there is definitely a tussle for the bugs. The most interesting part is the issue opens with Wildfire doing a long monologue. <laughs> I, Wildfire, do solemnly swear to... So what's going on? What's going on in Superboy 225, Matthew? There's a lot. Time! Time to resolve our cliffhanger! The uh, Pulsar Stargrave thing? Yeah, that doesn't happen in this issue. Instead... (sighs) Oh, but that's because we got a new writer, right? So uh, we've got Paul Levitz is here, and we had the exit of, um, who was it? Uh, Not uh, Claremont. Shooter? Yes. The shooter? The shooter. And so uh, Paul Levitz comes in and has to quickly write an issue, I think. And he's doing whatever he can of his fondness from the old days of the Legion, where you actually did have, you know, every other month, a new president being elected. And sometimes the, the, the readers of the comic book got to share their voices to say, hey, we would love to see, you know, uh, um, Colossal Boy be president or Shrinking Violet deserves a turn. And so maybe that's what Paul Levitz is falling back on, at least for a part of, or at least the main hook for this story. Well, and it's interesting because there was, in fact, a Legion election uh, that the readers filled out. And the winners were, in fact, Superboy in first place and Wildfire in second. Uh, But whether it's an editorial caveat or not, the decision was made to not have Superboy be the leader. And so this whole first story seems to be, how can we reverse engineer that into something? And the answer becomes swift and blinding violence. I mean, yeah, boy. So I made a, I made a mention earlier about the peaceful transfer of power. This is, this is what peaceful, trans peaceful transfer of power is supposed to prevent. So 
Now, this is a little bit different, and there's a there's a gimmick to get around the, the whole Superboy as president thing. Right. But during the swearing-in ceremony, that is where the peaceful transfer of power happens in the United States when one president leaves and a new president is being inaugurated. It formally gives the power of the people to the person that has been chosen to lead the United States, and this oath makes an ordinary citizen a president. And it's supposed to be peaceful, not supposed to be a lot of bickering. There's not supposed to be a lot of hanging chads. There's not supposed to be fisticuffs. There's not supposed to be mission accomplished everywhere. Instead, it's supposed to be congratulations. Please do a good job as the president. Please, the people have entrusted you with this power. Please lead them. But we don't even get that in in this issue. We don't. Superboy is mad as a hornet, screaming that Wildfire messed with the results and that he should be the leader and that he's a rookie runner up. And fascinating to me, he shows up, grabs Wildfire by the throat and which is kind of impossible punch. Right. Well, Wildfire has I mean, there's substance inside the suit, sort of. It's like a balloon. But then. Monel steps in and gives Superboy an open-handed Gregory Peck, I will hit you with my ring hand slap. Man, his older brother Bob Cobb just hauls off and whacks him. Oh, it's it's violent. And then this is the thing. This is the very telling thing. And this is how you can tell that all of a sudden Levitz is here. Dream Girl steps in. Dream Girl angrily tells them to knock it off takes control of the situation, explains it to everybody and says, nope, this is not going to happen. You know what happened. You received the most votes, but the rules have changed and a part-time member can no longer be considered the leader. Girls, girls, knock it off. Well, and this is interesting because Levitz has, throughout Levitz's run, this is Levitz's first story. And I'll be honest, it's not a good one, but Levitz is going to be part of the Legion creative team for like the next 12 years. So is he going to be our writer going forward for 12 years or is he just part of the creative team? Like he's giving like is he the head he writer does. and gives editorial direction to somebody that steps in or is he just like literally writing 12 years worth of comics and no one questions his his uh, his duties? He does leave right now. He's the leader. I believe that we're going to see uh, a Roy Thomas run coming up. Mm hmm. But Levitz pops in and out, and Levitz is part of the team. And by the time that things start really heating up for the Legion in the early 80s again, when they start to become you know, really popular for the fourth time, Levitz is the primary writer. And when does he become, do you remember off the top of your head, when he becomes uh, the, uh, the head publisher, the head dude of, oh, uh, of DC? Not for a while. Okay. I, I think that, well, and uh, Dick Giordano is the editor-in-chief in the right. 80s. And I want to say Paul gets his job sometime in the late 80s, early 90s. I'd have to look it up. So 20 years, like ladies and gentlemen, don't think that if you ever get a writing gig at a big publisher like DC, that <laughs> it's that in, you know, one year, you're going to move from writing the best selling Batman series ever to running the show at DC Comics or even the <laughs> the greatest Flash series or even the greatest Green Lantern series uh, at those uh, companies that you're not going to instantly be the head honcho in charge overnight. And I think that upsets a lot of, of creators and writers that, you know, Oh, well I had this fantastic run. It's the best run of Batman ever. It broke all sales records. I should be in charge. And people are like, no, no, we're going to put that guy who sometimes draws and that other guy who does the metal men, we're going to put them in charge. And so there's got to be people just twisting in their guts, but look at Paul Levitz, 20 plus years at DC. 
before he got the uh, before he got the nod. Yep, and Levitz is going to be a part of the Legion all the way through the uh, New Fifty Two revamps. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. he won't be the only writer on Legion, uh, but right now I think he is the primary and only writer, at least for a few issues, and he's responsible for some of the big things that we know about the seventies. Now I've got to ask uh, because Superboy's actions seem very unSuperboy like. And I just have to wonder if he didn't get a hold of some red kryptonite that turns him, you know, turns him evil. Uh, well, and so I, what can you explain why he's acting like this to the point when he slams the sliding door, it goes kawam. It kind of gets, or I'm sorry, it, it goes kawam. Kawam. Yes. It, it gets kind of folded in and it doesn't get addressed, but Throughout this story, Superboy is operating under the theory that the new leader will be blown up Mm. on their first mission. The Legion computer predicted. Now, this is interesting because none of the other Legionnaires know about this. Yeah, not even Dream Girl. Yeah. The Legion computer predicted just to Superboy that the new leader would get exploded. And Superboy felt that with his invulnerability, he was the best uh, to survive it. But it doesn't really hold any water because he is flat out obnoxious. He yells at shadow lass. He claims that he was cheated by wildfire. At one point he stalks into the Legion costume room. And by the way, there's a room somewhere in the Legion's headquarters with just costumes in a row. You know, that actually makes a lot of sense. I kind of like that idea, right? So as you retire a costume for your hall of heroes, before they die, uh, you, you know, you put up the statue when they die, but, uh, while they're active, if they decide to change out of a costume or retire a costume at some point in the future, people want to traipse through the Legion of, uh, uh superheroes headquarters and they want to go down the hall of costumes. I think that's pretty well, cool. If that's what this was, it might be. But if you look at the costumes shown, it's wildfire's current costume. It's dream girl's current costume. It's whatever colossal boy is wearing. It <laughs> looks like the implication is that they literally just have tubes filled with their costumes. That's how their and costumes get cleaned when they're not wearing them. Could be. How do they stand up when they're not wearing them is what I want to know. Anti-gravity but wind. Superboy. It's filled with water. In. <laughs> Superboy breaks in, steals wildfire suit or tries to steal wildfire suit and we get that terrible obnoxious storytelling trope where they fight then they roll off panel and one of them leaves somebody walks out in that full coverage wildfire costume obviously it must be wildfire must it it must be because who else would put on the wildfire costume well he starts immediately fighting with unless, his fists unless it's implied unless it's implied that superboy killed wildfire and is impersonating him for the remainder of this story <gasps> that is in fact what they're implying better than that dream girl immediately picks up on it and thinks oh no it's superboy and then wildfire gets blasted all to smithereenies and superboy shows up and he's like yep this totally happened but I also brought a spare wildfire costume and wildfire is fine. And I'm, it, it just, it doesn't hold a whole lot of water. Yeah. And part of this is, you know, it has to go with the computer saying, Hey, in the first mission, the leader is going to be blasted. Beep, 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 boop, boop. And right. then as they find out they're they're tracking down these people. Remember the TV series V where V mm-hmm. came down, the aliens came down and they started sucking up all of our water in exchange for all of this information. Then we found out that they were evil. Well, that's what's happening here. Some alien 
some alien craft keeps coming down to planet Earth, running off with our water, running off with our oil reserves, running off with our precious, precious uh, uh, ultra ultra titanium. <laughs> and so the superheroes are tasked with bringing them to justice. Uh, turns out they capture these creepy bug eyed monsters yep. at the end of the issue. Uh, but that's not the end because we've we've trapped them out in space. But we need to know where the home planet is, because if we just stop this one ship, that's not going to stop all the other aliens from coming and sucking up all of our resources. So yep. this is a two parter. We have to find out what happens in uh, 226, which will be coming up soon. Uh, but I kind of agree with you that there's a lot of just wonky stuff that's going on yeah. to get from point A to point B in this in this issue. And it's really a shame because the art is amazing. This is also the first issue for uh, James Sherman, okay. who draws one heck of a dream girl, I will tell you. His dream girl is just dreamy, uh, with art, with inks, rather, by Bob Wyacek. And it's really, it's a great-looking issue. This is a story that does not hold up its end of the bargain, and yet the art is still like, yep, we're going to be exciting every freaking panel. Ha-ha, live with that. What are you going to do about it? A couple of things that I noticed in this issue. First, when they're getting ready to blast off into their mission, uh, the roof, they do show a, a shot of the Legion headquarters where the roof blossoms open and they're all ejected up into the air as they go flying off to stop the UFO. Uh, so I thought that that gimmick was still kind of cool. Also, mm -hmm. later in the issue, there's some mention of it's not nice to fool Mother Nature or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I could only uh, stop and think, oh, man, I remember the chiffon margarine ads from when I was a little child where, you know, people will keep trying to get mother nature to try this spread and she tastes it and she's like, Oh, it's butter. It's butter. And then the narrator goes, Oh no, mother nature. It's chiffon. It's imitation butter. And she's like, it's not nice to fool mother nature. And then the, the lightning strikes and everything. And it's uh, pretty cool. And everyone dies in a, a horrible conflagration. Yeah, it's a, It was a great series of commercials as uh, growing up. I remember these in the seventies and eighties, they ran for a long, long time. I don't even know if chiffon margarine is still a thing anymore. But, I don't think uh, it exists anymore, no. Yeah, they found out it was made with motor oil, and so they had to discontinue it. So That is not true. No, it's not true. That up. I probably am, but I mean, how else are you going to explain chiffon going away? Well, the company could go out of business. I mean... Well, why would they go out of business if they had such a fine product that is so good that it could even fool Mother Nature? Well, margarine is no longer in vogue, you know. It's either butter or uh, some sort of spread... Yeah, that's whatever what, you want That's what chiffon is. It's a spread. It's a margarine. A margarine yeah, spread. It's nobody, marginally nobody sells margarine. It's marginally good. <laughs> <laughs> nobody sells margarine anymore. People are like, ew, margarine. That's not even real. Marginally so good. Kind of like I this issue, it's huh? Not butter. No, this issue is not good. This is this is a bad issue. I would rather have chiffon than this issue. And it's interesting because there's a lot of things in here to like, there's a really mm -hmm. good looking wildfire. I think, and I may be wrong. And I feel like sometimes I say, is this the first time we've seen something more than once? But I think this story is the first time we see them. Uh, we see wildfire twist his Legion ring insignia as the call to arms. It would eventually become the emergency. You know, isn't that what happened? Remember when the, um, uh, Pharaoh lad statue. Remember when Superboy was was frozen or something, and then the wing ring magically twisted in his hand. Oh, you're right. See, and I bet you I asked at that at that time. Is that the first time? Well, that may have but been yes. the first time, but this is definitely not the first time. Okay, 
Good call. So it's not. But there's a lot of, I mean, there's a gorgeous dream girl in here. Sherman does a really good wildfire, a really good ultra boy. And even the backup story, which is eminently forgettable, uh, an untold tale of the Legion of Superheroes. A Matter of Priorities. Published March 1977. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Michael Netzler. Synopsis. An undercover mission threatens Timberwolf's life. Featuring an interesting uh, team of Sunboy, Projectra, and Timberwolf. Yeah, they're on an underground secret mission. Right, which means they're all out of costume, mm -hmm. first of all. So they're not even uh, really wearing costumes to where you can tell. I mean, vaguely they have the colors of their uniform. Yep, they're all wearing normie wigs. Yep, and they're, you know, their whole thing is, oh, there's a killer. He's a terrible killer. And we are going to sneak around and we're going to stop this terrible killer. And then the literal devil arrives and goes, <laughs> welcome to I mean, the devil's nebula. <laughs> it is 1977. Everyone is preoccupied with Satan. You know, the heavy metals music is there starting to heat up. Sure. It's going to take your soul away. If you play the Beatles backwards, the devil is talking to you and El telling Dorado. you how to make a creme brulee. So it's not surprising that the devil shows up. Yeah. But it's also surprising up. that the devil shows up in a sci-fi series. He totally shows up. And uh, the guy that they're trying to find, who is actually a murderer, a murderous murderer, mm -hmm. uh, is like, oh, no, my name is Tasseln, first of all. And I have my mithril weapon. Wait, uh, plus mithril? five. Mithril. Somebody's been reading some uh, J.R.R., I think. J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, it's definitely a Tolkien reference. And Mithril the best part about silver. it, it's a complete throwaway. I mean, well, this, I mean, this... the whole the, the Legion starship is basically the Enterprise. Um, we've we've seen the word. Well, I, I can't remember. We had the discussion before about mutants. Mutants has been used multiple times. Very true. So it, it really feels like, hey, everybody, you're into the pop cultures. How about yeah. uh, how about we drop some pop culture knowledges on you? And even though you thought Mithril was fantasy, we have proof in the future that Mithril Silver is still in existence, and it's how you dispatch a demon. Only it's not yep. a real demon. It's not a real demon. It's actually a con featuring the powers combined of Sunboy and Princess Projectra to drag Tasseln of Thawne out of his hive so that the Legion can bring him down without breaking their cover. And I think that's how you get away from the Comic Code Authority having the devil in your in your piece because it's not the real devil it's a projection right. of the devil from princess projectra uh and then some <clears throat> sleight of hand by our other two heroes who slide in and punch our bald hero wearing green in the face punch him in the face i will say this about the second story much like the first story's uh transition of dream girl into something a little different than we've seen i mean the dream girl that Levitz gives us is a very heroic, very capable, very leadership worthy character. I don't know, man, because she wasn't she able does. to, she wasn't able to see the vision that the computer had. Well, that doesn't mean that she's not good at it. I mean, she stepped into the middle of a fight between two invulnerable guys and a walking nuclear furnace, calmed them down and brought everybody back on task. Uh, this also, the backup story introduces, um, Levitz's take on Timberwolf which is to say a big dunderhead. Uh, Levitz's Timberwolf throughout 
Do you the, think that's uh, do, do you think that's retaliation against people leaving the series? I doubt it. Maybe it's a retaliation. Maybe it's not. I, I, I I'd like to think that. Ha! You wanted to walk away and try to take your Wolverine head with you. Here's what my here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make your hero a dummy. Well, and this is also a flashback to before Timberwolf had the Wolverine head. Could be. Um, I mean, so, he's wearing yeah, a normie wig, so we we'll never know. I think we know. This issue also does one thing that is interesting, especially if you listen to last issue of the Legion Clubhouse. It's the first reference to Karate Kid operating in the 70s. Because Dream Girl actually says, you and Karate Kid are spending all of your time in the past, Superboy, and that's why you can't be the leader. And so this is officially the point where they're like, oh yeah, Karate Kid left. Karate Kid's gone, man. We didn't see it happen, but it happened. Which is why Karate Kid number one showed up last issue in the chronology, even though the issue was printed in our world considerably before. And that, friends, is the kind of quality work and restoration that we do here at Legion Clubhouse. Point of order. It's not Dream Girl that says that. It's actually Wildfire that says that. Eh, same thing. Well, I mean, no, not really. Somebody says it. Yeah, they the both wildfire. look great. They're, you know, they're drawn well. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Superboy number 226, the dazzling debut of Dawnstar. Published April 1977. Written by Paul Levitz with art by James Sherman. Synopsis. Another hero joins the team, but can Dawnstar last as a legionnaire? Uh, Superboy 226. We are one episode away from Jack A showing up. No. But in the meantime, we get Dawnstar. Dawnstar. And and the stereotypes continue, Matthew. Thank you for calling Dawnstar. How may I assist you? Yes. um, Yeah. This is interesting. Now, I got a question. Is Dawnstar... Were the mm-hmm. native peoples of Earth just so fed up with the white people that they just decided to fly off and do their own thing? Depending on who's telling the story, yes. Um, Starhaven, uh, where Dawn Star comes from, we don't know all this yet, but Starhaven is a planet founded by Native Americans. Okay. And they left Earth, colonized this new planet, uh, managed to grow wings and develop the ability to breathe in space. And so all of the people on Starhaven used to be Native Americans. I mean, it's hard to say Native American because they're no That's longer why I said living indigenous, in America. Indigenous peoples. Right. The indigenous people of Starhaven are, in fact, descended from Native Americans who then went out into space. And it does feel a little bit like Tyrock and Mars Island. Not, because not, a li- not a little bit like Tyrock. Almost exactly like Tyrock, except <laughs> uh, the Tyrockians... Uh, didn't flee the planet. They just hold up on an island somewhere in the ocean. Mars aliens. But yes, um, it's kind of the same shtick because we, I don't think we've seen any Native Americans in the Legion future or any indigenous people anywhere. No, I mean, no, we definitely, we definitely have not. Uh, we've seen uh, Asian representation um, mm-hmm. and we've, I think that's it, right? I mean, we've seen aliens, uh, mm-hmm. Caucasian and Asian mm-hmm. 
but I don't think we have seen Hispanic. We've mm-hmm. seen Thai rock and now we get introduced to, um, native Americans or, or, uh, indigenous tribes, uh, mm-hmm. through the introduction of Dawnstar. And I got to tell you, just like Thai rock, I think this is a great way to say, Hey, we need to diversify our, our roster and get right. something more besides white people and green people in this comic book. Let's sure. introduce somebody that represents uh, Native Americans. Right. But unfortunately, uh, I think uh, who's the artist on, on this issue? Uh, this Sherman is, this again. is once again Sherman, uh, but it's a different anchor. Instead of Wyacek, it's Jack Abel, who's okay. just not as good. I, I think uh, James Sherman watched that share video a little too much. Uh, the share did this video in 1973, uh, called, um, half breed. No, 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 uh, not, half, not turn back time, but half breed where she is dressed up in, uh, you know, the, the loincloth and the, the deer skin with the tassels. Uh, now the big difference is, uh, share does not have wings. Uh, in that video, she was wearing like, a uh, the chief headdress that, that people right. would commonly, uh, think about, but this is really just feels like walk off the share video set right into this book. And I know we're trying because of the limited color palette that we have in the comics. Sometimes we have to show or stress that someone is not a particular ethnicity by the way they dress, which is why we see all the Asian people always wearing, uh, you know, traditional geese uh, and why we see the native Americans uh, wearing Tassel. Buckskin fringe. Yes. So and on the one hand, yay. On the other hand, oh boy. The thing that's interesting about Dawnstar is her visuals are credited to Grell. Hmm, interesting. So yeah, did we... Mike Grell apparently created the visual for Dawnstar so that we see we... on the cover of the issue. Did we see then a Dawnstar? Was this something that was in the lineup or was this something that... Uh, Grell had said, here's a possible future Legion member and I've already arted it up or what, how do, how does Mike Grell get, get the credit on this? I'm not entirely sure. Grell is still doing covers. Um, I believe that Dawnstar was a character that he had brought up and said, Hey, we should put her in the book or she might be interesting in the book. But the first issue or the first few pages of this issue, actually the costume looks a little bit different than we see on the cover because on the cover well, not much yes tassels down yeah. the front uh yeah you know. on the cover it's more of a, a brown and yellow whereas on the interiors it's this shiny shiny yellow gold throughout the whole thing and again i don't know if we chalk that up to different printing i don't know if we well, chalk so that up to just something else i, I think it's funny that you mentioned the interiors look more shiny because it's the outside of the comic book that would have the shiny paper the inside would be the newsprint paper so you wouldn't have a shiny uh, color on that. It would be more flat, uh, as you, as you look at that and they don't really draw a lot of highlights, uh, on her costume. They do draw a lot of shadow, which would make me say that it's probably not as shiny as, as maybe you think, but again, great. Let's bring in some native Americans, but in the way they do it, ah, oh, those aliens from the last issue that we need to track down, we need a tracker. Please yep. introduce Dawnstar. And it's kind of, nonsensical because we start the issue with an actually really neat sequence with Sunboy and Starboy being all heroic and trying to take down the resource raiders or as I like to call them the butt faces 
um, as they try to escape the Legion. And then we immediately see Wildfire going, hey, hey, I got a new uh, person. She's going to help us. Her name is Dawnstar. Don't ask me how I've heard about her. And all of a sudden we're off. Well, I think I think the implication is, you know, if you need somebody tracked, you get a Native American. Mm, Because they're good trackers. Yes. I think that's the implication. And that is not a good that's not something good when you're trying to do when you're trying to do this again. uh, Here's the thing. I know a lot of people probably get upset and start twisting their guts when I start bringing up the uh, non PC way of introducing uh, people of color and and different nationalities and and, uh, types into these books. Because, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right, dear listener. But this was 1977. That's just the way it was. But again, we have to look at this through the lens of today. And I guarantee you, if this is how they introduce Dawnstar in, if Brian Michael Bendis introduced Dawnstar today, you would see a huge boycott going on of DC Comics right now. It's definitely a problem. I mean, super tracking is her primary power. So right there, you've got that moment of, okay, we have the only Asian member who's a super karate man. And the only, you know, indigenous person is a super tracker. And the only uh, African-American or the only black person on the team is literally super loud and angry. Yes. All the time. Shoulder all the time. Yes. Yeah, his his power is ye- literally yelling at people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's problematic, but it's more problematic when you kind of line it all up. And it's a shame because the Dawnstar character looks really neat throughout this issue. Yeah, no, I and mean, they, I, I can't, you know, again, you and I grew up at a time when watching Cher, who is not of, I mean, she, I think she's like one eighth or one sixteenth mm-hmm. uh, Cherokee. Um, but when you see Cher dressed up in that garb and when you grew up in the 70s and you see, uh, you know, the village people, or when you see people, uh, who are portrayed as, as native Americans wearing the buckskin tassels, you kind of accept that. So on the one hand, our, and I don't want to say, I guess it's our bias. You're an eye bias because this is what we were exposed to. Uh, yes, it does look like a cool costume, but in today's light, this would not pass any kind of muster if someone tried to introduce a character in this way. I'm trying to remember if the new Dawn star in the new version of the Legion has, I know she wears Brown that indicates she's wearing some sort of skins and, you know, blue colors that make me think turquoise. Does she have any fringe on her current suit? I would have to go back and look. I, I couldn't tell you at this point. I can't either. I but... tell you what listeners go and listen to episode, uh, eight, eight, five of the major spoilers podcast, where I will bring this up. <laughs> Uh, so here's the thing. Dawnstar yes. leads them on a tracking mission out into space to find out where the where the resource raiders are. I should point out that the top of their spaceship has a pentagram on it. <gasps> uh, but it turns out it's all, you know, a ruse, a mistake. Half the Legion almost gets blowed up real good. And everyone wants to blame Dawnstar on this. But Wildfire is like, wait, I love her. You should not reject her simply because I am your leader and I love her. I'm going to look deep into her eyes and say, Dawnstar, I know you can do this. And she's going to turn around and say, yes, yes, I can. We will get back on track. We will get back on mission and I will lead you back to earth. (laughs) He does not say, I love her. He He does say, I wish I had a mouth to kiss you with, but he also calls her a freak. 
and gives her a good girl when her powers work correctly. And I'm just like, yowza. He's, he's, oh. what's, he's doing the classic what's called negging. Is, it, is that what he's doing? Yes. Well, he, he does it wrong because she leads them back to, Earth. to the headquarters where, yeah, this is the thing. The resource raiders are hiding on Earth, and this is a beautiful sequence, okay? Sunboy, Superboy, and Dawnstar walk into a maze. And Superboy, with all of the uh, magical powers of vision and sight and sound, runs right into a wall because of an optical illusion Yes, the that resource, Dawnstar can just walk straight through. The resource raiders have done a wily e. Coyote and painted a <laughs> fake tunnel on the wall to fool the dumb, to the fool the dumb roadrunners, aka Sunboy and Superboy. You know, I I expected from Sunboy. Sunboy tends to run in without thinking, but Superboy, you would expect better. Don't forget and the hallway with the giant teeth. I don't know what that's about. The giant teeth. I don't know what, honestly, I have no idea what happens in this story because we get to the last page and we find that the resource raiders leader seems to be a brain in a jar. Yeah. So that makes me. we don't see what happens to the brain in the jar. There's a reference to him boiling to death. And it's just like, did the Legionnaires just kill that thing? I think they did. And I think the implication with that mouth is that it's the resource raiders leader. That whole building is supposed to be its body. And that's so maybe gross. that's the mouth that, that they walk through. I don't know. But in the end, because Dawnstar did her job, all those people in the lower levels of Legion headquarters who are, who are training night and day in hopes of becoming a new member of the Legion of superheroes, they get passed because Dawnstar goes to the head of the line and is instantly said, we want you to become our new leader. By the way, here's a ring. It's going to be similar to a ring that I give you later when we get married because I love you. They don't get married. And she cries. But she cries at the end. Oh, I don't want to marry this horrible freak. I will say this. Um, in retrospect, knowing that wildfire crushes on her and that they have their on again, off again relationship for another 20 years after this, this introduction is really creepy on wildfire's part because he goes out, he finds this woman, brings her into the team, forces them to work with her then decides, yes, she did really well. I'm going to put her on the team and then basically stalks her for a decade and a half. And it's just not good in, in retrospect. I, I like the introduction. I like some of the concept and I like the basics, even though you look at it and you go, man, she's wearing, you know, fringe everywhere. I really love Dawn Star's yellow costume under the right artist. I mean, so, that's fine. I just realized that it's problematic. And, oh, it is. And that Absolutely. people would, uh, today, people would scream up and down about it. Um, the, yeah. So, the, yeah, the just The problem I have with this first story is Jack Abel, honestly. Abel's inks are just not as A little too heavy pretty. for you? I don't know. They're not as pretty as Wyacek. Wyacek and Sherman together gave us a, more of a subtlety, whereas this feels very much like old school because abel has been on the legion before remember abel was one of the guys back in the day mm -hmm. before even cockrum showed up so yeah there's a definitely abel. a 50 60s vibe in some of these inks yeah and it's definitely a problem for me i don't like it as much and the fact that i still you know going through it i've read this story maybe a dozen times and i've read it three or four times preparing for this show and i'm just like I have no idea what happened. Yeah, you I've, can. So here's the deal. Here's where you can tell the difference between the two inkers is yeah. that, um, is it Wycheck or Wojciech? 
I say why I check. I don't okay. Know. Uh, the inker in the first issue that we did this issue, uh, when it comes to the lines that is used for definition, fairly light on that. Right. Yeah. So if you look at the chests of our heroes, uh, you've got some, you know, subtle definitions to represent the pectoral muscles or breasts or, you know, uh, arm muscles. But then when you get into this issue with Dawnstar, all of that shading is super, super heavy, uh, especially on the arm and face regions. It gets really, really dark and heavy. And so I think that's probably why you don't you probably don't like it as much. Uh, that's definitely an issue. And I think you're probably right. It just, it takes a little of the subtlety out of the faces and mm -hmm. expressions and, you know, some especially of the background that, detail. Especially that final panel of Dawnstar crying and, her, and, and she's got the heavy, heavy inking under her cheek lines to show the definition of her cheeks. And it looks like her mascara is running and she's just got this open eyed blank stare like, oh my God, who is this creepy guy trying to hit on me all the time? And I'm she's just it like, for you, Damien, it's all for you. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, this is interesting. Okay. It's interesting. It's a great way to introduce a character. We have a need. Here's somebody that fulfills this need. This person did a great job in leading us to the place where we needed to go. And so this person is worthy of becoming a member of the Legion because at some point in the future, she's going to have to uh, give us directions on how to get from one place to another. And that's well and good. Um, but on the other hand, the story really really seems like a weird letdown to, to the previous issue with the setup of who the resource raiders were uh, right. and then revealing it to be a brain in the jar on the final page and the battle done literally the next panel after that. Um, yeah. And also because of the weird Native American stereotypes that are abundant in this in this issue. Yeah. Uh, now, granted, now they don't make uh, Dawnstar talk like the stereotypical Native American. So that is good. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, there's just things that make you go, hmm, well, um, okay, this was 1977. Five Against One, published April 1977, written by Paul Levitz with art by Michael Netzler. Synopsis, what threat could drive Brainiac 5 to murder? The second story of this issue, get into an explanation or the beginnings of an explanation of what the heck happened last issue? Where's Pulsar Stargrave? What's going on? But the second story isn't really any clearer than the first. And, you know, reading these issues, I keep thinking to myself, man, Levitz gets so much better. What's going on here? Because the story, the five against one, the second half of this issue mm -hmm. is a story that it's, first of all, portrayed as an untold tale of the Legion. But it's a story that explains to us what was really happening with Brainiac 5. Uh, as you'll recall, when Brainiac 5 met Pulsar Stargrave at the end of issue 223, he was like, I will help you, father. Right. <sighs> so this uh, issue, yeah. we find him breaking into uh, the Xerox headquarters, mm -hmm. uh, where Mordru is located. Or the Sorcerer's World. It's, it's you know, different. I mean, it's Xerox. It's, it's the world of copies. It's fine. You, you know. Uh, this looks like the area that he's at looks to be like a Xerox park, perhaps. Uh, there's a lot of trees and open areas. So yeah, maybe that. Uh, but so he's tasked, his father has tasked him with breaking in to Mordro's world mm -hmm. and absconding away with something. A secret, secret, something. A secret but diamond. But in order to get there, 
a secret diamond to everything. Yes, he must pass three tests. The first, he must cross a bridge and he must answer a question, a series of questions. The first question is, what is your name? The second question is, what is your quest? And the third question is, no, but my force shield will kapow and thumps the guard right in the face. (laughs) It's, yeah. And then he must face a bunch of dancing tables. He thumps a guard in the face, and then he's attacked by the furniture. And then, a cat and then for some him. reason, there's a panther. Yeah. And then he, and then he has to fight his double. own evilness. Yeah. And then he uh, gets the ultimate prize. He gets the boon, Matthew. That's what happens. You know, first, in the previous time we saw Pulsar Starcrave, uh, Raniac 5 was refusing the call. And then he said, yes, I must have a reckoning with the father. So that'll happen later. But first, he must go out and get the ultimate boon for uh for uh, going on this quest and he does he gets this weird thing uh i am the command uh, the commanded i defend myself with five maneuvers first what is your name stop it <laughs> so he finds the star stone yeah and the star stone tells him the truth and by truth i mean retcon and by retcon i mean first retcon because trying to figure out the history of pulsar stargrave is like trying to read graffiti on a bathroom wall where each person has crossed out and added a little bit and eventually you get a workable sort of limerick yeah here i sit brokenhearted cross this line out and pulsar stargrave is brainiac one yeah that that doesn't rhyme really good gotta cross it out to a main state trooper here we have to find out something that rhymes with brokenhearted which Broken is what Brainiac heart. is when he finds out that his dad is really the android Brainiac one that used to plague Superman back in the day. That's not even his dad. It's his fake dad. He's pretending to be dad, but he's not because, you know, that's a thing. It doesn't make a lot of sense. No, it doesn't. Um, so let's let's go back really quick. And talk about the history of the Brainiacs in the Superman mythos. So okay. at one point, Superman boy, I don't boy remember man. which gets into contact with this being called Brainiac. And Brainiac Brainiac is this alien that is evil. He's a super mastermind and he's devious. And yet super, I think it's Superman defeats him time and time again. In his first appearance, Brainiac shows up and is shrinking cities. Mm -hmm. And then we discover that he once shrunk Kandor. Right. And in that story, he's this bald green guy who seems to be a super genius, but has no uh, connection, as far as we can tell, to anything computery or weird. He's just, you know, standard mad scientist. In a lot of ways, he's a green Lex Luthor. Mm -hmm. And then he would pop up and mostly in the Silver Age, a lot of these villains were more MacGuffin than character. So he would pop up and then he started agglomerating bits and pieces of backstory And finally, you get to a point where you're like, okay, Brainiac is one of Superman's rogues gallery. So the Legion of Superheroes introduced Brainiac 5 in 61. And then four years later, Superman stories, which are set in the future, technically, of the Superboy stories where we met Brainiac 5, went, oh, yeah, he's a computer. Yeah, they just decided to. The computer tyrants. And I'm like. Yeah, so they yeah. just decided to make him an android all this time, mm-hmm. which would be really weird because that would Brainiac mean that is his Brainiac great 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 grandson. 
but that doesn't make sense if he's an Android, unless he's got those weird things like data does, uh, because you know, the Android wouldn't be able to procreate. And I don't think that's how things work on, uh, on Kulu. Kolu. Kolu. Yes. Colon. Kolu. No. Kolua. I'm sorry. Kolu will cleanse your colon. Take (laughs) Kolu twice a day. Ask your doctor if Kolu Yad is right for you. But this is the thing. They finally had to put together a story in 65 and it may have actually been just one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, uh, this, this happened. And, uh, Julie explained it in the letter column where he's like, yeah, turns out that Brainiac just adopted a living Koluan boy who became Brainiac two of real docs was his name. Yeah. We see more with him after the crisis, but. Oh yeah. We see them in what space or not space 1999 Legion 99, right? Legion. Yeah. Legion 89. Uh, that's down the line. We'll see if we even go over those books because those are going to be a huge pain in the neck. Eh, not really. But it's one of those things where a retcon of a retcon of a retcon is now used to explain the first retcon of you know who is Pulsar Stargrave. And it's very disappointing in a lot of ways because the idea that Brainiac might betray the Legion to work with his poppy in a lot of ways is familiar maybe yeah. a little bit questionable so i guess at this point so this is where things get confusing and a little off right yeah so superboy knows nothing about brainiac correct it knows nothing about the original brainiac that he he would fight in the future as superman maybe remember when superboy is in the future he has access to knowledge and memories that are taken from him when he returns to the past he self-hypnotizes himself right, right, right. to not to remember anything so the existence of brainiac 5 probably means that in the future of the legion superboy has to be aware of the fact that there is a brainiac and that brainiac tries to kill and eat him at some point maybe maybe he does maybe he doesn't because that would be the adventures of his his adult self right, right. so one of the more interesting aspects that i like especially when supergirl joined the Legion of Superheroes and she and Brainiac fell in love was that at some point they go back and talk to the adult Superman, who is the adult Superman in Supergirl's uh, timeline, because she is uh, she comes later in Superboy's story. The funny thing is when they they come back and they talk to Superman and they have to like, oh, she's fallen in love with somebody. And he's like, who is it? And they're like, oh, it's Brainiac 5. And he's like, Brainiac 5, my most, uh, you know, the, the, the descendant of one of my most villainous foes. How dare you? Uh, but then at the same time, he's like, oh, wait, Brainiac 5, I know him from being Superboy, but I've w- erased my memory. So, you know, that whole chicken and the egg thing with Brainiac and the yeah. Brainiac lineage is really, yeah. really complex and really at times confusing to the point where you kind of just have to to roll with it. You do. You have to chuck it. And in a lot of ways, um, DC in the 60s and 70s is operating under the, if we don't talk about it anymore, it didn't happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. So they simply just ignored the fact that anything else had ever been part of the story and just said, yep, Brainiac's an android. He adopted a kid. That kid's great-grandson becomes Brainiac 5. Um, But this story, for me anyway, Brainiac showing up, is less interesting than Brainiac 5 being tempted to betray his friends in the name of family. Brainiac showing up is just like, oh, here's another villain. 
especially a villain, you know, honestly, I'm going to say this and people are going to yell at me. Pulsar Stargrave is a better name. Yes. Than Brainiac. Yes. And so, but I think though, I think it makes sense when you look at Luke Skywalker, when you look at uh, Vince Reynolds from this book that I'm reading, uh, when you look at, you know, all these other things where the son, the hero is the descendant of a villain, of a bad guy. And, but there's still this desire to, well, he is my father or he is my grandfather or he is my ancestor. And I need to, you know, honor this person that tried to raise me at some point or didn't. Um, and so you can kind of see Brainiac going, oh, Pulsar Stargrave. Uh, he's my dad. Of course, if my dad, you know, died in a horrible accident, but he's back, of course, I want to help my dad. So you can totally understand where, uh, where Brainiac 5 is coming from in his desire to say, Yes, father, I will do whatever you want, including joining the dark side. Mm -hmm. And then when he gets the uh, star stone realizes, oh, no, the star stone is telling me the truth that brain that this person who tells me he's, you know, Pulsar Stargrave is really this evil person, this person that is pure evil from my past. And I've been duped now. So now when I come back to the Legion, now I have to confess. Now I have to tell them what's going on. And now we have to take the fight to. Not my father, but to the enemy of my friend. Right. And I think that's, you know, you're right. This story is very complicated. It's got a lot of nuance that really, I think a 10 year old or 12 year old reading this in 1977 would be super confused about everything. And they probably wouldn't be thinking about, oh, what if my dad came to me? Who's, you know, he's an evil person. He's Richard Nixon. And I find out that I'm the son of Richard Nixon and he wants me to go and break into a place. Would I go do it for him because he's the president? And then all of a sudden finding out that he's really a criminal. And then, you know, what are my reactions to those kinds of things? Now, this is post Watergate, but I mean, trying to put it into a time frame that uh, that people might be able to understand from that time period. I think this is very interesting because this is prior to. Uh, Empire Strikes Back, where we find out that this is prior to Star Wars. Uh, no, it's right around. Oh yeah, March of seventy seven. So March it's right is, around is this, the publication date. Street yeah, date yeah. would be January of seventy seven. So. so yeah, so it's just ahead of of the Star Wars, and definitely before Empire Strikes Back, where we revealed that Darth Vader is Luke's father. Um, yep. But I think though, what Levitz is trying to do as he tries to get to the next issue, where we resolve the Pulsar Stargrave storyline. I think makes sense. And in maybe hindsight and a long discussion, like we've just spent on this, it starts to make a lot more sense as a story. And you can kind of see where Paul Levitz is going so that when we get to issue three and we try to destroy uh Pulsar Stargrave, AKA Brainiac one, um, maybe we will have a better resolution then. Nope. Also, where's Brainiac's monkey? Uh, Coco appeared in very early stories and by this point was definitely way by the wayside. I don't think Coco appeared after about 62 or 63, unless I'm crazy. Also, didn't the original Brainiac with his Coco monkey show up in a Legion story? Coco monkey? I don't think so. For some reason, I want to say that there was an early, early story that we had. And that's where I remembered Coco showing up in that same story. Uh, things are getting confusing. Now, Coco was a huge part uh, of the Brainiac 5 storyline in the rebooted Legion uh, come 94, because Brainiac 5 ended up with Coco the monkey. Yeah, maybe uh, that's maybe his. that's what I'm thinking. It may be, because that actually, some of those stories do parallel these very carefully. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
I don't know. There's your Pulsar Stargrave in-depth discussion, ladies and gentlemen. I know you were on the edge of your seat just wanting to know, how does this all work and how does this make sense? In a way, it makes sense. Also, really. after the Star Stone, he's going to go after the Stone Stone, the Life Stone, the Science Stone, and of course the Time Stone, and then Brainiac's going to snap his fingers. None of that happens. So we've come to the end of another Legion Clubhouse, and I know it's been really crazy getting through all of this. I think we need Ancestry.com to be one of our sponsors so that every time we talk about how this stuff relates and how people relate one to another, we can make those connections thanks to Ancestry.com. Not a sponsor, but they could be. What are you waiting for, Ancestry.com? In the meantime, Matthew, what did we learn this week? We learned that Mithril exists in the 30th century, which means that Hobbit Lad will be joining the Legion soon. I think we also know that Xerox is the capital of all the copies. And most importantly, we've learned that maybe it is murder to kill a robot, but not if it's a Roomba. Thank you so much for checking us out. Bunch of stuff coming up. Listen to Jason. He's got a lot of important things to tell uh, you. Also, I want to thank you to all of our patrons who make this show happen. We literally would not be able to do this show without support from fine people like you. So for more information, head over to patreon.com. And until next time, may the luck lords be with you. And also with you. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.